Hey, book lovers, we want you to know that Libro FM is the best place to buy your audiobooks because it allows you to buy from your favorite local and independent bookstore. You can choose from more than 150,000 audiobook titles and get recommendations from booksellers around the country, all for the same price as that other company. You know which one I'm talking about. Except with Libro FM, you'll be part of a different story, one that supports community. And as always, listeners of the Bookstore Podcast can get two months for the price of one when they use our new promo promo code bookstorepod, all one word, at checkout at Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. With each listen, take pride in knowing you're supporting local bookstores. Welcome to the bookstore. It's like a book club, but we actually read the book. I'm Becca. And I am Corinne, and thank you for listening to the bookstore. That's what I usually say at the end, but this week I meant <laughs> that specifically to our new Patreon patron, Becca. Um, thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting us on Patreon. And that is a different Becca than yes, this Becca. Yes, it, it is not me, but I do, <laughs> I do always feel a kinship to people with my name. Uh, yes. And so when I do when I do see somebody like in the news or something named Rebecca and they're doing something bad, it's always like a more like extra disappointment because it's like, <laughs> how dare you besmirch the name of Rebecca? <laughs> someone has <laughs> so framed this. All... Someone has framed this Becca. <laughs> but there is levels because I do appreciate a Becca more than a Becky. I don't know. Okay. That's controversial. But anyways, so thank you, Becca. <laughs> this is like an imposter to you. Yeah. Because you would never yeah, be Becky. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Thank you. If you're interested in supporting us, um, you can check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash the bookstore. Here we go. So we don't have any news this week except to say that our challenge for 2024 is going to be released soon. Um, the whole list for all of our prompts for 2024, that is. But the first one we'll let you know about is to read a book set in a place that you're from or to read a book by an author who is from where you're from. And, you know, just to give you a little time to prepare. Uh, Becca's choice is... My choice is Daughters of Eve by Lois Duncan. It's set in the fictional small town of Modesta, Michigan. So yeah, you can use, if you're in the U.S., you can use the state where you're from or city or town if that's or possible. Region. <laughs> or you can do, maybe you've grown up a couple different places. Pick your favorite or your least favorite. I don't know. Whatever you oh, yeah. want. <laughs> <laughs> or just choose the United States. <laughs> Yes, choose the country in general for you. (laughs) I don't really care. Um, And I am looking at probably something by Jim Harrison, who is a novelist who was born in Grayling, Michigan. So, yes, that uh, will is to be determined for me. Yeah, but I've got a tiny bit of time. Our next book for December this month, uh, December 2023, uh, which is the prompt is to read a book by an author who has the same first letter of their surname that you do, <laughs> if you want, or however you want to, uh, you know, interpret it, will be your name, I think is what it's, it is. It's, it's Y slash no by Esther Yee. And that was mm-hmm. Becca's pick. 
So that'll be next. For any book and episode content warnings, please check our show notes. Spoilers are sometimes unavoidable in our conversations. We'll do our best to warn you for the big ones. The safest bet is always to read the book first. I'm going to say, I'm going to guess that this is something we'll talk about um, in this episode. Um, Mm -hmm. So I can say it in this, in terms of content advisory. Um, This book does talk about sexual assault. So if that's something that is sensitive for you, you can check out another episode of the podcast if that works better for you. And what book was it? (laughs) (laughs) This was was my choice for this prompt. Um, It is Ice by Anna Kavan. It was published in 1967. I think I have a newer edition. There was like 50th anniversary editions that went out a while ago. And I have one from the UK. It's the Penguin Classics that was published a few years ago. But anyway, this was the last of Kavan's novels to be published before her death in 1967. And it was also the novel that got her the most mainstream success. It's kind of hard to talk about her books without kind of talking about her life too, because it's, there's like so much, that's just basically all anybody talks about with her work. So just like a little bit of context, Kavan was a a lifelong heroin addict, had a lot of difficult mental issues throughout her life and struggled with depression and had a lot of strange relationships with different men, one being her doctor and psychologist who like prescribed her heroin to like try to keep her in check with it. And so a very strange life. She actually was born with a different name. Anna Kavan is the name of a a character in two of the novels that she wrote under the name Helen Ferguson, um, which was her real first name. And her first husband's surname. And uh, yeah, she was, she was a very interesting character, wrote kind of a lot of stuff, very strange, <laughs> I guess. A lot of people compare Ice specifically to J.G. Ballard's Crash, which I haven't read, but I've heard a lot about. So, But it might give you an idea of, of the kind of novel we're talking about here. But yes, so this is her most popular novel, probably. And it is <laughs> um, kind of described often as a work of science fiction. Um, I found it when I was researching slipstream fiction after reading The Mount by Carol M. Schuller, which I was obsessed with earlier this year. And Ice is a short novel that takes place at the end of the world as an enormous ice shelf threatens the planet following a nuclear war. It's narrated by a man who is kind of on this like international hunt. Hunt makes it, well, you know what? He is a little bit predatory. So I was going to say Hunt makes it sound predatory, but maybe it was. Mm -hmm. to find a young woman that he is like, I guess, perhaps in a love triangle with. I don't know if she's aware that he's in the love triangle with her. I don't know. It's it's strange. Um, And none of the characters are named except for the warden, who is a politically powerful and diabolical man who is both maybe the narrator's nemesis, but also perhaps the nemesis or the narrator himself. Um, It's a little difficult to parse at times because this book is virtually plotless and the tone shifts a lot from weird to just like straight up hallucinatory and is uh, at some points pretty upsetting. Um, It's very weird. And so we're going to talk about it for a little bit. How'd you feel? Um, (laughs) So I, you know, I liked it. I do like these sort of weird modernist books. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, this also feels very strongly when I was reading it. Before I really read the epilogue and found out what Kavan 
what her life was more in depth. I kept thinking that this book is something where it feels like it's all just like one big extended metaphor. Like maybe the girl represents a country that was like, you know, taken over by another country or something like sure. that. Yeah. And I don't think that's true, but that's sort of what it almost felt like is like, maybe there's like a piece here that I'm missing. I mean, it's definitely like the Cold War, you know, like that's right. Like that's where this like nuclear disaster of the world is coming from. So I think you're probably not like super far off but i don't know if it's like that one for one kind of metaphor but it's i think yeah i think there's that reading in there for sure yeah and i mean of course when i was reading it i was like this is kafka-esque <laughs> and it is the epilogue mentions that too but yeah i don't know there's a lot of mentioning of other writers one of them is gene reese Especially mm-hmm. since Jean Reese, I think, released Wide Serga SOC really around the same time period. And mm-hmm. she was like in her 80s at that point, And everybody thought she was dead. And Wide Serga SOC, I think, have you read that? I know a lot of people read it in college. I have. Yeah. I didn't read it in college, but I read it a few years okay. ago. Yeah. And but it, it has that modernist feel of like, I don't really know sometimes whether this is really happening or whether this is yeah. like an illusion or a hallucination. Oh, I was going to say the narrator does say straight up that he takes medications for migraines and he ha- it gives him weird dreams. And sometimes those dreams happen when he is not asleep. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's why I would say that I think White Sargasso Sea has more of a linear uh, timeline. Like, you can Mm -hmm. feel the plot moving along (laughs) and what's going to (laughs) happen. You know, things push it forward and there's like an ending that's an ending or you know what's going to happen next because it's Jane Eyre. But this one was just sometimes I was like, what is going on? (laughs) It's it's like watching an art film where like you know somebody's doing something and then suddenly like another image pushes through and he is somewhere else entirely it's pretty wild yeah Yeah. this was strange but i did i did like it again i don't really know what to say about it (laughs) because i don't really know what to say about it but it's yeah i i don't know i i appreciated like somebody doing something really kind of weird I don't know, especially like a woman <laughs> doing something really kind of weird with a, a book at that time. But but yeah, the the images particularly like there's the one part that I was thinking about because I kind of had to read it twice is he climbs out the window when he's staying at like that big fortress place where the warden is. And he climbs out the window because he thinks he sees the girl in the woods somewhere and he follows her. And I don't know how he manages to do this because, again, things are not very linear. And then he's out in the woods near this giant, like, wall, which I was thinking of, like, Game of Thrones, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially because of the ice, I guess. Like, the ice taking over the world. You know, it's like winter. Like, the the winter of Game of Thrones. Winter is coming. <laughs> Song yeah. of Ice and Fire, yes. Um, and he's he's, like, along this wall, and then suddenly there are... Oh, he he notices this huge boulder, but then it's not actually a boulder. It's a cottage and there are people inside fighting. And then suddenly there are people like storming over the wall, which again is like very Game of Thrones. But like, it's just like one image after another, just like 
kind of I don't know like like barely related flashcard kind of images coming across and so it was it was often like kind of exciting to read in that way in that like you you truly never knew what was coming next I guess (laughs) yeah well at one point wasn't he like oh I did so good in this war that I was promoted and I was like hold on a second I don't I didn't I I missed that (laughs) I know (laughs) somehow it's like the last yeah. thing I knew he was like pulling a sword from a corpse. And yes. now yeah. like a few pages later, new chapter. Now he's like, oh, yes. And I did so good that they rewarded me. Uh, one of the things that threw me was every time he wanted to go see the warden, they were like, OK, cool. Yeah, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. what is his... So, yes, I guess that's the question is, what is the relationship between him and the warden? Because I also thought I was so glad when you said maybe the warden is him, because I thought like one of my theories was maybe this maybe that is him. Like he is the warden and it's like a fight club situation. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, it's like it is extreme like dream logic. Um, in all of these things, kind of like in your dreams when you're, I don't know, you're moving through a place and then suddenly you're in another place. Like that's, that is what's kind of going on here. And so the warden, like, is both all powerful and also like extremely accessible, which is also seems to me like dream logic in a way. But also the warden to me does kind of everything that the narrator, when he's speaking directly to you like the audience it seems like the narrator is a good person but then also he'll say some really awful things like especially about the girl that he's after he calls her a girl she's 21 years old she's not a girl she's a woman but um he calls her a girl and he he'll say all of these things like he makes it sound like he wants to protect her and he has these sort of like hallucinatory visions where she's she's trapped around like all of these walls of ice and it's uh, again very hallucinatory and like vivid and she is also kind of like this ethereal my least favorite kind of trope typically in novels where like the special girl is like so pale and white and has white blonde hair and you know the bluest mm-hmm. eyes in the world or whatever but um that is that is the the girl we're dealing with here and she she needs to be protected you know her bones are so like visible through her wrists she's got these dainty little wrists and he talks you know about like her needing to be protected but then also he'll say like it should have been me like breaking her wrists and crushing her bones. Um, And so like there's these like extremely violent undercurrents that he has, especially when speaking about her, um, that just come out every once in a while. So when you are in that fortress building for the first time and he he goes to that room where she is and she is assaulted by a man, I was kind of like, is that actually him? (laughs) You know? Mm-hmm. I don't know because because yeah. why else he, would he be there in that room? Yeah, yeah, well, and he does. I think this is a flashback of when he first meets meets the girl, but he does assault her then. Oh, in that flashback, it's like they're okay. in a room together, and he comes in, and she's like, "Well, I don't want to get too much into it, but yeah, he locks the door, and then he realizes he, and after it happens, he realizes he forgot to lock the door, and somebody else comes in. Okay, yeah, and then. Fast forward to the beach house, he does it again. And she, like, kicks and breaks the um, 
breaks something, seashells or something. And then, yeah. Yeah. So really, for me, reading it, it felt like, it felt like first we are, oh, this is our hero. He's going to try to save this girl. Mm-hmm. It was like very, I, I hated <laughs> His descriptions of her, not yeah. in like, uh, oh, I wish it, but I mean, it made me like grossed out, you know, that character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like as a bad thing with the badly written in the book, but um, it did feel like, wait a second, like the way she reacted to him, it felt like the book was slowly ramping up the fact that he is actually also a predator. Right. He thinks yes. the warden is, but he is also the the predator or even worse than the warden yeah because she seems like she wants to go with the warden sometimes Mm -hmm. and then the way he would say like because she was victimized as a child now she's always going to be a victim i was like god dude do you think that or does she think that because it really seems like you want her to think that right yeah no it's it's truly like really creepy and quite chilling like I a lot of the ways that like I got vibes of Patricia Highsmith's Deepwater. Did we read that last year or this year? Last year or the year before? (laughs) Yeah, whenever. Anyway, but anyway, (laughs) I got I got vibes of that, especially when he goes to visit her and her husband in the beginning. Is just like this weird and like terrible, terrible, terrible like marriage um, situation going on at home. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like the two most bizarre people you could go visit. But then like at, later as you, it goes on, you find out that like they were much more involved um, or he was much more involved in their lives. He wasn't just like a regular visitor or whatever. It was just it was weird and creepy and bad. And then um, and then later again, you know, being more reminded of oh man why can't i think of what it was the the noir we read earlier this year oh in a lonely place yes in a lonely place because like you are with the like a bad person the whole time yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) it turns out (laughs) yeah and it just being like i don't know yeah viscerally upsetting but then you know i was also thinking again to your point about the like the metaphor thing is like you know is this a metaphor for like the for like women's bodies being exploited in the way that the world is exploited <laughs> in terms of like you know powers fighting each other for whatever like t- to uh, like way past the ends of like mutual destruction like destroying all life on earth and for what mm-hmm. but you know i think like maybe that's a little bit like too on the nose but it it's definitely there yeah well yeah and i wonder too if it has something to do with addiction as well because of the extreme descriptions of how delicate she is she was wasting Mm -hmm. away emaciated things like that i was like i wonder if she is supposed to represent like sort of drugs or something and maybe also but i think a lot of it is just anna kavan i had a crazy imagination because of what her life was you know yeah (laughs) yeah I don't know, but it did. I've been reading, trying to read this book by Kathy Acker called Empire of the Senseless, and it is like about 10 million times more brutal and violent than Mm -hmm. this book. So that's why, I mean, even me, I feel like I have a strong (laughs) stomach, but I can't even, it's hard for me to get through it. 
but it's like vibes of that too where it's like Kathy Acker wrote sort of to say you claim you can't have a novel written like this but I'm going to write a novel like this I'm going to sort of go against all of the conventions of what a novel should be and I kind of got that too with this book like it is like I'm maybe she's not even trying to write a novel or because it's right. like she knows I read in the epilogue that her other books that you had mentioned by Helen Ferguson, that they are much uh-huh. more straightforward. Yeah. And they're they're like domestic. Yeah. It almost feels like with this one, she was just trying to like do the exact opposite of what somebody would expect of somebody to write about. Well, because she also wrote a few things and maybe they're short stories. I don't know exactly what they are, but like about about like being institutionalized or, you know, like specifically kind of like more quote unquote, like on madness. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, she she was dealing with like a lot of different things. And so I think she probably had a lot of different experiences to try to like you know, communicate in some way or another. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I it's hard. You don't want to be like, this book is about heroin or whatever. But also, mm-hmm. if you spend 40 plus years of your life, like, as a, a user and an addict of heroin, like, probably it does have something to do with it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe it's not. In, it's got to be influencing it, your work in some way. Right. I hate to be like, this book is fucked up because of that or something. But yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised either, I guess. Yeah, I kind of think too, Anna Coven is somebody that I might enjoy a biography about her more than maybe her work. Yeah. I mean, I liked this. It's not like I didn't like this at all, but like her life seems so wild that I'm sort of fascinated by what, like, what did she do? What was her work like? Like, it's hard to picture somebody like, okay, I'm going to wake up at 6 a.m. every morning and write for two hours. And then this is like what comes out. Like this feels much more like somebody waking up at 3 a.m. with night sweats and then writing. (laughs) I mean, maybe. And I'm not like being trying to I hope I don't sound judgmental, but it just like I would be so interested to know, like, did she how did she how do you write this kind of thing? I don't know. I I don't know. It's uh. It's also just interesting to me that she's like, you know, I mean, I guess like among some literary scenes or whatever, if like you're more interested in like obscure or a type of uh, writing, like you're probably aware of Anna Kavan in some respect, because, you know, again, this was like the 50th anniversary. So there was a lot of like press that came out um, in along with the the reprintings of Ice. But like, it's just surprising to me that she's not read along with, you know, like those those kinds of artists like a J.G. Ballard, Mm -hmm. just because like, I I don't know, like, especially the way that we look at like, Ballard and I don't know, Burroughs and stuff like that, like these these people who are like like considered like drug fiction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think it's I, I guess, I don't know. I, I, it's just an interesting perspective to get where it's, I don't know, especially from the view of a woman. I think the narrator of this book is a terrible person. And yeah. I think probably she knew it, right? But like oh, in yeah. other books, like if this book was written by a man, I would spend the whole time questioning whether or not the man knew that the guy was 
a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean? Well, <laughs> yes. And that's like what I had mentioned when we talked about the yield and the reverend. Like, I feel like I could tell the right author does not think Reverend Greenleaf was a good person. And that's the same thing with right. I, I felt like with this is like Kavan is sort of like um, drawing us in, making us think that this is very much like, oh, look, a classic. This guy is going to rescue this woman from a terrible marriage in the middle of an apocalypse yes. and then sort of twists it and like does it slowly. So you are sort of still questioning like until those scenes of assault happened I really wasn't sure exactly you know what to think about him and I think that yes because those scenes are written in a way are written from his perspective I mean I don't want to say we you do get the true horror but I can sort of see how I don't know that could be misinterpreted by somebody reading it does that make sense? Yeah. Like you could think that that guy is still just trying to express his love or something. Well, and I think, yeah, I mean, in general, we also like just make excuses for men in literature mm-hmm. and stuff a lot. I mean, like there are people who have like completely misunderstood Lolita for however many decades now, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's uh, it's just one of those things. I don't know, because like I haven't read all i can't remember if i've read any burrows actually but like i don't know it's just those types of books where like i don't know the 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 characters are like true dirtbaggy type people well okay let's talk about burrows real life for example didn't he like shoot his wife <laughs> people still like yeah. make excuses <laughs> for him you know what i mean like yes. that sort of thing i don't know yeah so I, I don't know. I just I like to be able to find these books like now I've got her first name, Dorothy. Is it Dorothy Hughes? It was Dorothy Hughes. Yes. <laughs> Reading or like writing noir um, and having it set from the perspective of the male like serial killer. You know, I like finding these examples of women doing the writing and just seeing how it differs. Not saying that they're perfect, perfect political wise or anything, but it it is a nice counterpoint to a lot of what tends to be like the classic or or cult classic versions of this type of fiction. So, well, yes, and 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 in a lonely place, I don't know why I didn't even think about that. Maybe because it's such a wildly different genre, but that is a perfect right. comparison <laughs> because like both of these books use some of the like archetypes or or traits that generally get put in fiction for men as a positive thing. Like in a lonely place, that guy was like good at picking up women or whatever, you know, and then in this one, it's like, oh, that need for protection to protect this poor, innocent, you know, delicate little flower bird of a girl. And yeah, I really like women taking those and then giving us something different (laughs) like showing how those traits are are bad toxic masculinity if you will (laughs) again to deep water with patricia highsmith she's writing from the perspective of a like weirdo creepy man too (laughs) like yeah like a different version he's not necessarily a predator he does do something terrible but like uh, again i don't know all of these are are women early you know early to mid 19th or not 19th 20th century who who wrote uh, from the perspective of men, which I just, I don't know, I find really fascinating. Well, and well, uh, White Sargasso Sea is exactly the same thing. Not just, yeah. uh, not just that, but she took like this actual 
example of the, you know, Jane Eyre's love interest. I can't remember. Mr. Rochester, the romantic man we're all supposed to like dream of and changed it and showed that, hey, guess what? Actually, he's a monster. And I don't want I mean, it it almost sounds like sort of reductive, I think, to say like, oh, it's toxic masculinity. But (laughs) right. (laughs) I don't know. It's like beyond that, because I also don't think that these female authors are like saying like, hey, guess what? Men can be bad sometimes. Like, I, I think it's like more than that. I think they're really just like exploring what humans are and what they're capable of. Yeah, and I think it's much more nuanced than I'm even able to like speak about yeah. <laughs> necessarily because I'm not a very smart person or articulate person. Yeah. But like, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I, I don't want it to just be like, yes, exactly what you said. <laughs> don't want it to just be like, hey, dudes suck. Actually, <laughs> yes, I, I, right, but. exactly. I'm struggling with it because I don't want it to sound like, yeah, I don't know, corporate feminism, girls, rah rah. But it's yeah. more <laughs> than that, and I think part of it too is that these writers kind of make these dudes sort of likable too. With it, like you're not upset for spending time with them. I wonder how much of that is me having been conditioned to be like, well, this is the yes. guy that's right and good. <laughs> you know? Yes. And not just like, and I don't mean, I don't even know if I mean it like kind of in a real life way, but even more so in novels, like you're saying with all these like male writers. I mean, let's bring up Norman Mailer. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because why not? (laughs) We're conditioned to say, oh, a man is here. Okay, this is and just it's sort of like, I don't know, it changes how you feel about literature, too. Like it is not we're not Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey anymore. Right. But to get back to the book, (laughs) (laughs) I would say that the 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 descriptions of the ice wall and the ice coming and all of the snow was some of the best writing in the book. I thought when he's in I think he's in a plane. When the warden shows him the wall of ice that is slowly mm-hmm. coming across the water, oh, yeah. that was so creepy. And just like, I don't know, the idea of walls closing in was, I mean, it happened over and over again in this book, but every time it was so good. Yeah, especially like, well, even from the, the beginning when he first, he's driving in and he, the he, he thinks he sees her in the middle of the road or whatever. And then there's just like these ice walls like that surround her. And, you know, like all of the different facets and colors and and whatever that it does, like, it's just very kind of cinematic. Like, I can imagine that scene in a show or something, you know, like the special effects that would get used to, like, create that. It's just very evocative. (laughs) And also, like ice is cool and it's sparkly and it's you can see through it but also like it reflects light in in certain ways and distorts different things it just it's just like a great image to have it's also i like this too because i think you we get any kind of like apocalyptic stuff a lot of times it might show us the very beginning and then it'll show us okay now all the weak people are dead and now it's just all the survival of the fitness people still around whereas this was showing like what is happening in between and it's just impending yeah (laughs) yeah super into depth but a lot of it all of these countries our nations or communities, not exactly sure, are all warring with each other all the time. And the the guy, the main character, he can go to one town and it's like 
a paradise and everybody's fine. Everybody's having fun, acting like nothing's going to happen. And then the next time he goes back there, it's like a ghost town because everybody has left. But you know that everybody's leaving just to go somewhere else when the ice is still going to come to that place. Mm -hmm. So it's just like the image of people constantly on the move trying to outrun this thing that's going to happen and they can't do anything about it. Like they will be caught by the ice eventually. Right. And it's hard not to like read it also as like a climate disaster sort of thing, which I mean, like, of course, is what it is, even if that's not, you know, she didn't necessarily like foresee (laughs) a climate crisis like we're facing, um, essentially. But like, yeah, I don't know. It is it it does hit a specific way when you're reading that in 2023. Well, should we I I really don't have a ton else to say, but we can kind I know, of talk I was about to, the very I was trying ending. to look for a specific uh or I was just trying to pull out like a good chunk to to read from because of course I didn't mark anything. <laughs> I didn't either. I did notice there was one time where it said, I think it was, well, the main character, he said, uh don't let's go or something (laughs) and i love that construction you never i never see anybody use it because it sounds so incorrect but don't let there's a is like there's a book title don't let's go to the dogs tonight i think yeah it was a that's such a good title oh don't let's part like this i don't know i like that but and i wish i could say it but everybody's gonna correct me if i ever do (laughs) it must be it must be a specifically like british english construction don't let's mm-hmm. go to the dogs tonight. An African childhood is a a memoir, and I assume they're in colonial Africa. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> now I'm lost looking for stuff. Well, I was just going to talk a little bit about the end. So he finds he leaves the girl at first, and then he changes his mind. He goes back and finds her, which is such a creepy part. I don't know why. I just like oh, when he's like driving in his car, and then he's like he's thinking all of his thoughts, and he's slowly deciding. Never mind. Actually, I need her. I cannot be yeah. without her. Just like an object or something. It is so chilling. Uh, but so he sees he finds her again she's renting a room and she's very like kind of cold and standoffish and also like flippant to him and he doesn't like Mm -hmm. that and then she does end up going with him which was kind of disappointing i mean you kind of wanted her to like (laughs) stand up for herself but i also understand it's not that kind of a book yeah. Which is fine. But at the very end, he says, the weight of the gun in my pocket was reassuring. So uh-huh. he's going to, like, kill her and kill himself, right? Probably. Yeah. I mean, because he's not going to... I mean, he's talking about how it's basically the end of the world, right? Yeah. Like, they're not going to outrun that ice forever. And he that gun's not going to do him any good against a sheet of ice. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. I Well, the other thing is that I think is so interesting about this book is like when it got to the end and like she's actually talking to him for what feels like the first time sort of ever i don't know to me anyway (laughs) just because like a lot of times i wasn't sure if the woman that he was chasing was actually her at any given point like there's times where he's on like a steam liner and there's a woman and he 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 has no idea where she is exactly. He just kind of keeps following following these instincts and, and intuitions and little clues he gets. And most of it is like he glimpses a woman with, you know, very white hair or whatever. And I the whole time I was just kind of like, is she real? 
And so like when you get to the end and and there's those times where she's actually like really dealing directly with him and that that scene where she's like telling him to get fucking lost basically i was like maybe it wasn't her the whole time you know and like this is actually her um but then yeah but then she she does ultimately like end up submitting and going with him it was i don't know it was it's just such a strange book because she throughout the whole thing especially when he's just in pursuit of her she's just this empty like symbol um, which is why a lot of the time I, I was wondering, was any of it real? Was she real even or just a figment or or what was it? Yeah, I was the same. I kind of wondered, too, because the warden, well, he mentions at one point that the warden wants him for his war skills. And so yeah. I'm like, is the warden just sort of going along with this guy's crazy hallucination in order to get him to do his bidding or whatever? Mm -hmm. Um, But then at the end, when he sees that kid and he's like, and the kid knows who owns, what is that, a restaurant or something? The hotel. And yeah, the hotel. And then the kid knows where the girl is and they're like Uh together. I was like, oh, man. So she is real. (laughs) (laughs) But I also got to ask, what's up with the lemurs? (laughs) I was just going to say that because you said, you know, he... The warden wants him for his war skills or whatever. And I was like, what are the war skills? Because this guy only ever talks about lemurs. <laughs> the, the, the singing lemurs, which I was kind of disappointed that that didn't have more of a more of something <laughs> in the book. I know. But I did enjoy the references to them. Yeah, especially when like, I mean, like how weird and insane is it in the the very beginning? Again, I keep going back to that and thinking it's like just like the family, the, the husband and wife in deep water, <laughs> just because like he puts on the record of like the lemur songs and she absolutely yeah. hates yes. it. And she's just like, she's like, that's the most she ever reacts to anything. And she's just like throwing a fit about the lemur song. <laughs> this is insane to me and then there's other times where he's he's like in that fortress with the where the warden is and he he's talking about how he's doing all he's like he claims that he's there to be doing like some sort of kind of like anthropological research or something like that for for whatever country he says he's from and then he 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 comes back like he just keeps he keeps trying to find her and every time the warden goes to take him to her, he's like, oh, he's I know I just know that it's he's not actually going to let me see her. And then so he just like pieces out and then goes back to his room and starts writing about lemurs. again. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's like so funny to me. I, and it's he a literally very, like a very strange book. <laughs> he like bargains with the warden. He'll be like, can I have her? And then it's like, whoa, OK. <laughs> and the warden's like, hmm okay sure (laughs) yeah he's like yeah let me take you to her real quick but i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to stop in there and ask if she's okay with it and then he's like well he's not gonna let me and then he just like takes off without even finding out i don't know (laughs) honestly like in those moments i was like is the warden a better person than he is because he does seem to be like are you like asking what giving the girl some sort of agency right yeah (laughs) i don't know very I, yeah, I, it, it, a funny, like, funny, strange, little, like, pretty short little book. I don't know. It's fascinating, I guess. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely worth reading, too, because it is it is short. So even if you feel like you're in a fever dream. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends on how much you appreciate being in a fever dream. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I guess that's true. Night, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Night chills or something. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Weird. Uh, glad I got a chance to check it out, though, finally, because I did. Again, I talked about how I... I put it on my list because of uh, slipstream fiction, which I've talked a little bit about on the podcast before, which I also, I can't really explain it to you. And like, also nobody else really can either. It just, it seems to be vibes, but <laughs> I've been chasing the high of, of reading something quite as weird as the Mount. And this is weird in an extremely different way, but I always, I always like something weird. So yeah, I, I would be interested is. in reading her, short stories because i think short stories are really good for slipstream stuff especially yeah. when it's kind of about one general sort of topic or theme it doesn't get too worn out for a whole novel but right but yeah, yeah. and definitely no, a biography I, like i mentioned i would love to know, I more know. <laughs> about her life what a, what a life it was very strange especially like the little bit i've read about that relationship she had with her doctor is like that needs to be studied <laughs> so. yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening to the bookstore. If you would like to support the podcast beyond listening, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash the bookstore or rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And again, another big thank you to Becca, our newest patron. And you can find all of the ways to contact us, our email, social media, and all of that jazz are found at thebookstorepodcast.com. And our next book discussion will be YN or Your Name by Esther Yee. You can find it at your local bookstore or library and read along with us. The bookstore is a production of Awkwardly Social Media produced by Becca Yunk and Corinne Keener. Technical and production support is provided by Josh Bourdon and Zach Titus. And John, if you're out there, thanks for listening. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.